0: Of
1: flame, the hottest podcast on the internet. Nick Lowe, Rockpile. Um, I guess it's Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds that kind of
2: that kind of team up a little bit and perform under Rockpile and various other um appellations, but that's Heart of the City, and we are in the Heart of the City here. This is New York 19. 70-ish, where uh, life was uh, pretty real and raw. And today we're going to talk about this whole idea of 15-minute cities. But now we're starting to get the, uh, we're getting the alternative version of the 15-minute cities. And on Friday, we had a great show with the Krimis, and we talked about Jordan Peterson and how Jordan Peterson now Wants to meet in London on Halloween, which I think is weird and creepy. Um, but you know, more power to him. Maybe they can meet in the uh, in the remains of the Hellfire Club. Maybe that's where they can have their their meeting and promote the alternative to Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum. And um, their green city, their their Agenda 2030 model for the rest of us, and I think this is actually this is actually good. I think this is a good thing because we get to get into the quote unquote marketplace of ideas, and who knows? Is Peterson controlled opposition? Maybe um, is 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 he going to be tasked with? rolling out the more digestible version of what the world because nobody wants a world economic forum version of the 15 minutes well the 15-minute city is an outgrowth of the world economic forum and what they're what they're planning they're just giving it a name now with the 15-minute city so peterson is is uh starting to make news and squawk about how there's got to be a, a you know a better alternative with better ideas, which I agree with, by the way. But now Trump has thrown his hat to the ring, and we're going to talk about that today and the idea of the 15-minute city versus the freedom city. Uh, and it just seems so very Trumpian, doesn't it, to come up with the freedom make cities great again?
1: Anyway, we're going to get into that today
2: and some other stuff as well. Welcome to the show. If you're around Rumble, welcome to the show. Um, If you're coming over from the Astro Weather, greetings. Boy, Nick Lowe had a lot of energy. Very good singer-songwriter. And you can tell what's going on in that audience is unusual. Because you have kind of a punk rock crowd early punk rock crowd you have the pub rockers and pub rock predates punk rock and then you have just kind of plain old rock and rollers and you can see them standing around going what the fuck is this i mean the music is good but these people are losing their minds and i i saw just the the very end no i take that back i didn't i didn't catch them i was supposed to see them dave edmonds and Nick glow with rock pile, that was what they were touring with, and then uh, there was on a bill with Mick Deville and um, Elvis Costello. And this was, I think,
1: Elvis Costello's
2: first album, if I'm not mistaken. And they were playing the San Jose Civic Auditorium. So we got there; we'd missed Rockpile, and we got there about halfway through Mink DeVille set and Mink DeVille blew me away. Willie DeVille, great, great talent. But I've seen him, um, on a number of other occasions down the line, uh, in the, uh, 80s, like around 82, 83, right around there. So this was 78. And then Elvis Costello came on and he just burned up the stage. It was great. So, um, miss the uh nick lowe portion of it but lots of energy in the interesting interface between all of those genres as they say all right let's get into uh you guys oh before great, i great great talent hold on i've seen him uh, on a number of other occasions down the line
1: hold on a second, i have to uh, i have to mute me here apologize for that or is this as I'm prone?
2: Let's see. I want to go back to live. Uh, let's see. I'll just mute me here so I don't hear it. What happened? What happened?
1: I apologize for that. There we go. Okay. Let's see.
2: All right. Sorry for the glitch. Blitch happens. Let's talk about our sponsor. And uh, you know who I'm referring to. That's True Hemp Science. In between shows, what did I do? Well, yeah, I took my 19. Hey, 19. So I took a dose of 19. And uh, going to get up for today's show. Here we go. We're at the True Hemp Science website. Just take a – you just use this as a screensaver. The calm contemplative and meditative effects of organically sourced CBD brought to you by True Hemp Science. And of course, um, I I sing the praises of their product constantly because
1: it works, and because I have a
2: history with Chris and uh i've known i think i've known chris since around 2014 so we're going on we're going on 10 years now and uh once you you know once you get past the seven-year mark with a person in your life you know that they're going to be around so one of the reasons why i feel strongly about the product not only because it works because i know the guy that makes it and i know i know him personally you know we started our friendship as a practitioner client and Chris was a client of mine and then I watched him go through a number of iterations um, with his career and then eventually merging onto uh, the CBD side of things and then really going at it and um, dealing with suppliers and um, you know store space, you know all kinds of issues that somebody who starts a business has to go through and um, i think it's i think it's great that he's been able to hang in there and continue to bring us this really great product so if you are interested go to truhempscience.com and look at all of their great products including the sleep gummies which are i think are invaluable like you need you need the sleep gummies in your medicine cabinet um and then there's a whole host of other products there for you know your body, and if you have any questions about the CBD, go ahead and reach out and call Chris. He, he talks to people, he tells you what you're going to get. Um, you know, theoretically, what it's good for. So, don't sleep on it. If you spend a hundred dollars or more, you're going to get free product. That's just the way it is. But you got to type in 15 mins 15 mins, and you'll get that free product. Spend 150 or more and you get free shipping so there you go true hemp science all right let's get into chat it
1: feels like it's been a while huh it feels like it's been a while since we actually had a little on-air check-in
2: all right let's see who we have here's my man DJMC, what's going on, Michael? TJ, morning, Thomas. There she is. Sony, a classy one. Hi, Sony. Miss Nakia, she's here. Good day to you, Kelly B. Morning, back at you. Huckabuck 411 is here. What's going on, huh? Queen Lisa. Queen, hey, Lisa, I owe you a phone call. I want to check in later today, see how you're doing. SP Dimples, missed you, Chataria. Yes, we missed you too. Welcome back, SP. Uh, there's my man steve thor at the door in the morning lisa w's here hi lisa there she is the fantastic one cc jones tondar in the house what's going on tondar rocky sea pines father time greetings from snowy california that is such a an oxymoron isn't it snowy california snow, um, one AI, that's not punk. A little bit. It's a little punky. It's pub and punk. Can we call it punk, punk rock? I don't know. But there were some punk rockers there. You know, It's the bleed. It's the bleed through from pub rock to punk rock. You know, you get Nick Lowe, you get Eddie and the Hot Rods. I don't think Brinsley Schwartz qualifies. I don't think Dr. P- but it's right at that edge, right? They're right at that edge where pub rock is about to morph into pub rock. And I think Eddie and the Hot Rods is really the band that takes it there. Uh, let's see. Gary Rossi, 10 founding member of Leonard Skinner. Last remaining original member of the band. Died at 71. Wasn't Gary the... Uh, the master of the solo on free bird. Snow. Snow is gorgeous too. It can be. Ah, that's right. So David Lindley, you know, I was going to, I was on uh, YouTube this morning. I tried to find a really good version of Mercury blues by David Lindley. And I know it's there. I just probably didn't devote enough time to it, but uh, David Lindley passed away and, um, He's known mostly for his work with, I believe, Jackson Brown. He was, I think, he was Jackson Brown's guitarist. But I used to see him tour around in El Rayo X, which was his his band. And boy, those were great shows, really great shows. I remember I went to to uh, the El Rayo X show with Dave. I didn't know what to expect. I, I I kind of heard of him, but my girlfriend's best friend was. They were into that whole Avocado Mafia scene. Um, And she was really into David Lindley because she was a Jackson Brown fan. And we went to, I think it was the Keystone in Palo Alto. And man, was I blown away. I think I saw him two times. I was just blown away. Great showmanship. Um, He could play mandolin, steel guitar, slide guitar, um, acoustic guitar. You name it. The guy was just a string wizard. And a really engaging and fun personality. Um, And his band was like really upbeat. It was a really cool show. Uh, Let's see. Who else do we have here? Lyle Kotel. Yes, Nick Lowe does rock. Absolutely. They're going to have Lyle on the show this Friday. Lyle's going to be bringing some of his uh, Hollywood Babylon breakdown. To the Friday Forecast. Steve Letro, last night watched uh, the Prime show on The Wrecking Crew. It's a great, that's that's a great documentary. Really great documentary. So many talented musicians. And then you have the kids that come out of the wrecking crew. Um, specifically uh, the Picaro sons, right? whose father was a percussionist for the wrecking crew so you have uh jeff and steve percaro i think i think one of them passed away if i'm not mistaken so you have the you have the kids of the wrecking crew um you have uh let's see brian Melvoin and, and then lisa uh lisa melvoid whose father was also part of the wrecking crew and uh, Lisa Melvoin was in was in Wendy and Lisa, but also with Prince. So, so you have generations of the Wrecking Crew. And if you don't know who the Wrecking Crew is, they were these session musicians, and um, the they're, they're, you know their handiwork is on so many records and uh, commercials and even intros for TV shows, like the introduction for uh, Bonanza the bonanza theme which is a tommy uh tommy tedesco right pretty cool uh, they're very important parts so when you have the wrecking crew on the music side and then you have the whole brill building crew on the um, lyrical side you really you put those two together and all the Brill building people moved to california and when I'm talking about the Brill Building, we're talking about Carol King, uh, Neil Diamond, Glenn Campbell, who is both Wrecking Crew and Bill, Brill Building, uh, Boyce and Heart, Steely Dan, Becker and Fager, all these, Doc Palmas, Jim Webb, all these people that were writing songs at the Brill Building in New York, they all moved to California, and then they all combined. You have the Wrecking Crew and this group of singer-songwriters, Carol Bayer-Sager, This is just happening. You'll you'll never see anything like that again. You know why? Because AI will do everything. (laughs) AI is really the wrecking crew. AI is really the true wrecking crew. Uh, End of side one. Did we flip the VHS? That's funny. Really funny. Trump calls them freedom cities. I know. Uh, Let's see.
1: Oh, Lyle's playing the uh, glass bead game. Wife just
2: asked, what's the origin of Harvard? We turned on the news and five minutes later, there's a story of a ceiling collapse in a Harvard Harvard subway train tunnel just now. Sink. It happens. Always invert the titles that come up with freedom cities. Good call, Hucklebuck. Good call that city used to be home for a while felt like completely foreign place last time i visited new york in the 70s was a jungle it was an intense place very intense place who else do we have um let's see ricky raccoon kamal says freedom uh sp doubles comes back with when a foreign place feels foreign that's fine it's something to discover when a familiar place feels foreign it's its own kind of disconcerting that's so true that's really so true i'm trying to think if, if i've had that experience a familiar place feeling
1: foreign I would say maybe Oakland, because I lived in Oakland for
2: from 92 to 96. And I used to, you know, go to a lot of A's games, some warrior games. And I think the last time I was in Oakland was two years ago. And we went to go see an A's game. And the area around the stadium was unrecognizable i mean the stadium is is in um east oakland and it's in kind of an industrial area and that was that was there but the tent cities and uh everything that's sprung up around the coliseum very disconcerting it it looked it looked like a scene out of max headroom you know, I watched uh, Ready Player One last week. I actually really enjoyed that movie, even though it's a Spielberg film. It's quite well done. And you can, the only problem with Ready Player One is that dystopia looked a little too friendly. <laughs> right. I mean, there is, it was a little too friendly. It was like, oh, that's dystopic. Well, you know, don't look too bad. Just drop into the Oasis. Um but that's what Oakland is starting to, you know, we, I mean, we've had all these dystopic movies, which are really now more about predictive programming. And they feel a lot like documentaries from, from the past about the future. We're starting to inherit these uh, dystopic spaces. So, that's, so now we have this problem reaction solution. And the cities have become a real problem. A real problem. We'll get into more of that. All right. Let's see who else do we have. Uh, Three
1: hundred millisecond delay. I've been here for back in time. Timeline change. Did something happen with the uh, broadcast? Can I help you be all you can be? Attempt
2: to the best of my ability. That's what I'm here to do. That is my dharma to help you be all you can be. Absolutely. Kabuki Theater's here. What's going on, Kabuki? Loki, Loki, Uber Alice. He's back. Uh, Let's see. We knew Fauci knew. We were so ahead of everything tonight. Today, sorry, I'm reading Luke. We're ahead of everything. Uh-oh, we got a fussy baby alert in our world. Look out. Uh, the lemon, lime, orange gummies are fabulous. Very strong. So I cut them in half. Yeah, they are powerful. Although I did have two last night myself. Let's see who else we have. Look at that. One AI loves the Tommy Tedesco reference.
1: Let's see, who else do we have?
2: Anybody else? Yeah, that's a great document. Hey, there's, you know what I love about Tamara, her her name check. Tamara loves to do the name check. Thanks for doing that, Tamara. Let's see, anybody else? Anybody else going once, going twice? Um, Good idea. Build new cities properly designed. That's going to be a big part of Pluto and Aquarius. I mean, we're going to have to stare this thing down no matter what, right? Hey, darling, what's going on? We'll be seeing you soon. Checking in from the 210. Uh, Tom says, I saw Rosemary's baby in 67 in Times Square. That was a trip trying to orient myself. Afterwards, geez. So you saw you saw. Rosemary's Baby in Times Square and you, you'd come back out of it into New York. Whoa.
1: Rosemary's Baby is an important film. It's it's you know why it's important because.
2: Uh, it's a studio movie but it hints at the power of independent cinema, which is coming, right? It's like Rosemary's Baby is a presage, presage, into where cinema is going, and you're going to have people like George Lucas and um, uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg and all the all the young guns, all the mavericks coming out of USC film school who are going to take the the movie industry by storm. And Rosemary's Baby is kind of, in some ways, it's kind of a metaphor for that, right? It's sort of like the end of the old Hollywood and sort of birthing this new beast um, that is going to emerge cinematically. And, you know, this is when film you descends into archetype it's not like hey let's make a movie that is talking about the end of um, you know studio cinema as we know it and we're going to birth these of uh, the directorial variety and they're going to take over hollywood but it happens right that's that's what that movie in some ways is about it's a creepy movie really really creepy movie and the devil is amongst us right I mean that's the other part of Rosemary's Baby it's not like oh you know let's let's sacrifice the little demon oh no 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 the demon is amongst us it was really interesting I was watching Rihanna uh, just briefly because I don't watch the Super Bowl and I used to really be into breaking down the Super Bowl halftime show and all the symbolism and all that shit. And I got tired of it. And I also felt like, in some ways, I was being used. You know, I was kind of being used in order to do that. And I just stopped doing it. But I did watch Rihanna briefly, and she was pregnant. And the first thing that came to my mind is Rosemary's Baby. And have you noticed that these. Evening gowns, all red, are very in vogue now. The lady in red. You know, this this would be um, uh, consummate with the uh, the moonlet, like the moon child that was birthed by Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard, which is also considered to be the horror of Babylon. Now, there are some people who think that uh, that was actually Hillary Clinton. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. But there there are a number of people in the dark conspiratorial world that do believe that. It makes for a good story. That's for sure, right? But this is what is popular now for, uh, for women who are in the uh, public space. It's this, you know, this bloody red gown. And of course, we see that in the matrix when neo is transfixed by this beautiful woman in red she's the lady in red and of course it's an agent of the matrix right so there's this whole other layer of interpretation of the lady in red Uh, but that's what rihanna was doing she was pregnant she was draped in this bloody red gown and i thought rosemary's baby and then i read something Uh, about that and Rosemary's Baby did come up it was weird right so it was kind of in the air but it's a
1: Rosemary's Baby is it's an important
2: movie you know whether or not you're down with the subject matter and I'm not really down with the subject matter but it seems to be this signifier of giving birth to uh, to evil in the most mundane of circumstances, which is an apartment building in New York City. So it it, it exists on a couple of different levels, right? There's the cinematic interpretation, which is we're about to witness this wave of of uh, independent cinema and in these these um, celluloid rebels from SC or or not even just SC, but American international films uh, in that whole scene. Right. So, but then again, it's also, you know, the birth of the devil. It's the birth of evil upon us. And it's not, it's not, it's not aborted. Evil is not aborted. Okay. Um, Have you guys, before, before we get into the 15 minute cities and the freedom cities, um, have you seen these new shoes that everybody's wearing?
1: Let's see if I can find them. Okay. So everybody's wearing these red boots. They become in vogue. Have you seen these things? So they're Astro Boots. And they're $140. And, you know, since we're um, a society of lemmings, all these companies now are offering their version of Astro Boots. So why are these boots popular? Well, Let's take a look at Astro Boy. Because that's where the boots originate from. See, there's the boots. There's the boots. There's the boots. Now, what are the boots symbolic of? And what is Astro Boy symbolic of? So Astro Boy is a modernized version of Pinocchio.
2: Astro Boy is a science fiction series set in the futuristic world where robots coexist with humans. Well, that's something in and of itself, a sign and signifier of the transhumanity, the, the ever-expanding family of man. Its focus is on the adventures of the titular Astro Boy, sometimes simply called Astro, a powerful android created by the head of the Ministry of Science, Dr. Tenma, known as Dr. Astro Boynton. In the 1960s English dub, Dr. Boynton, Dr. Tenma created Astro to to replace his son, Tobio, who was killed in a car accident. Tobio is shown having run away from home before the accident, well, in the 2009 film, Toby was killed by a peacekeeper weaponized robot. Dr. Tenma built and adopted Astro in Tobio's memory and treated Astro as lovingly as if he were the real Tobio. However, Dr. Tenma soon realized that the little android could not fill the void of his lost son, especially given that Astro could not grow older or express human aesthetics. In one set of panels in the manga astro is shown preferring the mechanical shapes of cubes over the organic shapes of flowers in the original 1960 edition tenma rejected astro and sold him to a cruel circus owner hame doesn't that sound a lot like pinocchio
1: in the 1980 edition
2: hame kidnapped astro while Tenma was trying to find him in the 2009 film tenma Rejected Astro simply because he could not stop thinking about Toby. But later during the film, and unlike the other manga or the three anime cartoons, Temba realized that Astro made credit to replace Tobio as a result. Temba decided that he would readopt Astro. None of these events about Astro being rejected completely or temporarily or kidnapped in both the 1960 or 1980 cartoons as well as the 2009 film happened in the 2003 cartoon. As Astro's birth was given by Professor Ochanamutso, Dr. Elephant in 1960, and 1980 cartoons, as well as the 2009 film. So really, what he is is he's an uptake, an uptick on the uh, Pinocchio. The Astro Boy series consists of several storylines. Adam, known as Astro Boy or just Astro, originally appeared in supporting character in the Tezuka comic, Adam Taishi, Ambassador Adam, sometimes referred to as Captain Adam, which appeared in Shonen, a monthly magazine for boys, in April 1951. Tezuka then created a comic series in which Astro was the main character. According to Shot, Tezuka created Astro to be a 21st century reverse Pinocchio. Nearly perfect robot who strove to become more human and emotive, and to serve as the interface between man and machine. As Suzuka's
1: art style advanced, Astro Boy became more modern and cute. So, of course, Geppetto
2: was also known as Geppettophile. So, when you when you see, you know these. Astro Boy boots that are becoming uh, in vogue and common amongst the so-called celebrities um, that are are rocking them, including Rihanna. What are they really referring to? And and even the blood-red character of the rubber boots, right? Like, there's something very nefarious. And as we move into... um, this period of Pluto in Aquarius and Saturn in Pisces, you know, those are astrological zones of the feet where Aquarius rules the ankles and Pisces rules the soles And so we have this new, um, you know, footwear for the astrological time that we're in. And of course, Astro Boy tends to be scientific, futuristic and very much connected to AI and it's making its rounds. Um, And these boots have become all the rage. Nobody talks about them, but nobody really has explored the roots of the boots and why in a lot of ways they're popular. And again, the underlying theme is that, you know, Pinocchio was created by Geppetto to, you know, perform the role of being a young boy. and. Of course, there's the uh, whole idea with if Pinocchio tells a lie, his nose grows, right? So, again, there's this really weird kind of phallic association um, with the nose. And, of course, and, and you know, it's a metaphor again, right? So, these boots are kind of in the public space now. And I think they're an interesting symbol for what they represent. And they they represent the interface with Pluto and Aquarius and the ankles and and then Saturn and Pisces the souls and this kind of retro future um, anime style that uh, turns people into literally they're turning people into kind of an anime character you know it's 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 this um, cosmetic aesthetic. You know, transhuman. um, I always forget this word. It's, you know, there are words that you always accessory, accessory. It's a transhuman accessory, right? This is this, I mean, these boots, you think that they're mundane because in a lot of ways they are like, oh, who cares what Sierra or who cares what Rihanna wears, but they're symbolic. These boots are symbolic for the time that we're heading in. We, this is the this is the footwear. This is the footwear for the new age. All right. So speaking of the new age, let's get into this whole idea of uh, Trump and the freedom cities.
1: I guess he has a campaign video. Let's see what the man himself has to say uh, about Freedom Cities. Here we go. I'll tell you who's into this whole idea of Freedom Cities. Elon Musk. All right, here we go. Agenda 47, I guess this is the name of the channel. Let's see what Donald has to say here.
0: Agenda 47. Past generations of Americans pursued big dreams and daring projects that once seemed absolutely impossible. They pushed across an unsettled continent and built new cities in the wild frontier. They transformed American life with the interstate highway system. Magnificent it was.
1: I
2: think Trump needs a primer on Tartaria. Trump needs a primer on Tartaria. We're going to talk a little bit about Tartaria by the end of the show in John Levi's latest video.
0: And they launched a vast network of satellites into orbit all around the Earth. But today our country has lost its boldness. Under my leadership, we will get it back in a very big way. If you look at just three years ago, what we were doing was unthinkable, how good it was, how great it was for our country. Our objective will be a quantum leap in the American standard of living. That's what will happen. Here are just a few of the ways we can do it. Almost one-third of the land mass of the United States is owned by the federal government with just a very, very small portion of that land, just a fraction, one-half of one percent. Would you believe that? We should hold a contest to charter up to 10 new cities and award them to the best proposals for development. In other words, we'll actually build new cities in our country again. These freedom cities will reopen the frontier, reignite American imagination, and give hundreds of thousands of young people and other people, all hardworking families, a new shot at home ownership, and in fact, the American dream. Another big opportunity is in transportation. Dozens of major companies in the United States and China are racing to develop vertical takeoff and landing vehicles for families and individuals. Just as the United States led the automotive revolution in the last century, I want to ensure that America, not China, leads this revolution in air mobility. These breakthroughs can transform commerce, bring a giant infusion of wealth into rural America, and connect families and our country in new ways. Likewise, through our Strategic National Manufacturing Initiative, which is going to be very big and very, very successful. We will turn forgotten communities into hives of industry, producing the goods we will no longer import from China.
2: You want to live in a hive of industry? <laughs> Do you want to be a worker bee in a hive of industry? Uh, no, here we go. China.
0: We will also have a major initiative on lowering the cost of living with a special focus on lowering the cost of a new car and lowering the cost to build a single-family home. And they will be beautiful homes. And I will ask Congress to support baby bonuses for young parents to help launch a new baby boom. Finally, I'll challenge the governors of all 50 states to join me in a great modernization and beautification campaign, getting rid of ugly buildings, refurbishing our parks and our public spaces, making cities and towns more livable, ensuring a pristine environment, and building towering monuments to our true American heroes. Very importantly, I will also make sure all of these new places are safe. We love and cherish our police. They will do the job the way they have to. It is time to start talking about greatness for our country again. I will dramatically increase living standards and build a future that brings our country together through excitement, opportunity, and success. Thank you very much.
1: So, these are gonna be talking points now for 2024. And Trump won't be the only one.
2: You have Marianne Williamson has thrown her hat into the ring. What kind of hat does Marianne Williamson wear? She probably wears one of those kind of glittery, oversized baseball caps. Um, but this so what Trump is. OK, so I'll, t- I'll tell you what Trump is doing. He's essentially taking a
1: page. From Libya, this is what Gaddafi was working on. This is exactly what Gaddafi was doing. Libyans had it pretty good. They had it pretty good under Gaddafi.
2: If you got married, you got a marriage bonus for getting married. If you had kids, you got you got a you got a bump from the state for having kids. Nobody was denied college in Libya. If you wanted to study something that wasn't being taught in Libya, they would work it out so you could go to another college in another country these were all ideas that Gaddafi had and I'm not saying that Trump is lifting all of them but he's lifting some of them and whether you believe the hype um, or think that maybe this is going to be the the prettier poison pill than say the Klaus Schwab version at the very least now um, these ideas have entered into the marketplace of ideas.
1: And I think that's a good thing. But I don't think we
2: should stop with with Trump's freedom city. Now, I can assure you that people like Elon Musk and Peter Thiel um, in a, a lot of the kind of Silicon Valley 2.0 people, I mean, those guys are kind of 1.0 r- merging into 2.0. They're behind this shit, right? That's what they want. You know that Musk is 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 invested in creating um, a new city, right? And everything surrounding that would be connected to a Musk product. Like his X chat app, where everything is used as um, a transaction node. Everything. So we're 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 inching up here to the precipice of the
1: brave new world. And
2: it's like, where is Trump going to build these cities? That's that's the that's the piece because when you look at where. Um, the federal government owns most of the land it's not in texas i can tell you that um, it's mostly in places like new mexico arizona and nevada and i'm thinking probably nevada nevada is mostly federal land so i could see these uh these freedom cities being sort of carved out um, in those areas and there's already been a significant push from Silicon Valley into places like Reno like like there's a big Silicon Valley presence in Reno it has to do with the railways and a bunch of other stuff so I think you're looking at the Southwest and portions of the West where and he's even evoking images of these new frontier cities so now we have the Freedom City and everybody gets a flying car (laughs) I mean, the idea of a flying car is kind of cool, right? We've all wanted flying cars at one point in time. We all wanted to have the Jetson mobile. Uh, Is the flying car, there's issues with the flying car though. I mean, just think about it for a second, right? Some people can barely fucking drive a terrestrial car. And now you're going to have them up their game and fly a flying car. I mean, the only way a flying car begins to make sense is if it's automated. Then I mean, you don't touch a thing. I mean, just think about a fucking flying car. You got birds in the air that can hit your car, right? There's all kinds of crazy shit that can happen. There's more variables with a flying car. I like the idea. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's a very uh, user-friendly idea. And maybe young people could adapt to a flying car. But I like the fact that at the very least, Trump is, talking about the future. and so he's throwing it out there, right? And then, of course, you have Jordan Peterson who we talked about on Sunday and you know, the gathering of his legion of superheroes who are going to save us with their much more humane version of what the World Economic Forum is proposing with their 15-minute cities. So now we're having this discussion. It's it's Pluto and Aquarius is upon us, right? We're looking at like new models of living. Um, The the idea that we could replace um, our old infrastructure with something new, modern, more efficient,
1: right? I think the whole thing is
2: the very least it's interesting. It's interesting, but who is really equipped to quote unquote, build these new cities. The Saudis have their own version of it. Like with this whole neon thing that that they're rolling out, which is, what is it like a 25 mile long city or something like that? But it's all, instead of vertical it's like horizontal it's this uh it's this tube city which is completely air conditioned and self-sufficient and contained in um, saudi arabia so these ideas now they're on the table we're moving into this aquarium space and it'll be very interesting to see what ideas stick and what ideas don't stick you know getting back to uh john levi and his latest video it's a really good video and he talks about how when you look at a lot of these cities from the good old days and a lot of them were were photographed or rendered by somebody in a blimp you know they're, they're elevated and you can see how the grid has been plotted out in these cities and you know we're talking mid 1800s to um, the later 1800s. It's like who who can do that? Who can do that shit and do it at completely like clean right angles at every block inside of that quote unquote city? It's like it's a pretty um, it's a pretty admirable feat because people just you know. And we know George Washington was a surveyor, but the way that these grids were set up up in these cities almost suggests that they were done from the actual uh, altitude itself, right? And not necessarily surveyed on the ground. But one of the things that um, John brought up in his latest video is when you look at these, um, they're almost like... um, flyers for these cities and he makes this connection and i I never made it before but i think it's a brilliant connection that these flyers that are illustrated the cities they actually are sales tools for the cities because it's connected to real estate and so so john has made this leap which i think is an interesting leap that they were selling these small cities either by parcels or even wholesale, that you can buy the whole thing, right? Like it's like, Hey, look, you want to buy this? We have this, we have the deed to this, and this is exactly what you're getting. Uh, it's a really fascinating idea. And I think it's interesting that we've been, you know, kind of mining this Tartarian, um, psychography you know sort of the geography in our psyche we've been mining this for a while now and we've been talking about uh, tartaria and the reset and of course as we begin to you know unearth or you know basically pressure wash the subject matter and then you know all this detritus kind of is is you know washed away we see this Vision of the past that we had never seen before, and we begin to use the term "reset." What happens? Klaus Schwab shows up and starts talking about the Great Reset. Hello, right? Is this um, simulacrum? Is this simulacrum material, or is or or is this part of what's happening just in general? Right. So did they know at a certain point? that people would catch on to what had happened in the past, and now they have to eradicate. Because what's interesting about Trump's vision, but also if you get into um, Agenda 2030, both of them have language that talks about the eradication of buildings. Clearly, in the Green New Deal with Agenda 2030, they want to they want to get rid of a lot of the stuff in the background here like i'm sure that that building's gone anyway but if it's not it would be gone under agenda 2030. so a lot of the eye candy from a prior time if it's around it would not meet the standards in the code for the new emerging cities that would be the, the sort of the model for agenda 2030. they would just go because they wouldn't be they wouldn't be green enough right. So there's that. And even Trump is saying, well, we're going to get rid of the, you know, the old, ugly buildings. So who's going to deem those buildings old and ugly? Now, I know if it were me, I would look at the kind of brutalist architecture that really started to spring up in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. And that's right out of, you know, the former Soviet Union. It's like Bauhaus on steroids, right? So, yeah, you could get rid of those, but but that's my, that would be my aesthetic choice. I don't know if that's Trump's aesthetic choice. You know, is Trump leaning into it'd be an interesting question. Maybe that's what he's talking about. What's interesting is when you look at the inside of uh, his penthouse suite in Trump Tower, to me, in my mind's eye, it looks like something out know, of Tartaria, you know, with all the ornate gold, and it's almost steampunky. It's you know, so it's kind of over the top baroque, you know. I can imagine, you know, in some of the uh finer spaces of Tartaria that that's you know how they live. You know, it's like Louis the Fourteenth, Versailles, which I think is probably a very Tartarian kind of structure, and they had to burn that down to burn all that shit down, right? Um, so it's interesting. Again, this stuff is coming up, you know. And we're talking, and, and really, you know, we've been exploring these ideas about these hidden and suppressed technologies, and how theoretically um, they can make our lives better. And maybe at one point we even had them, and they were woven into the fabric of how we lived in ways that we don't really understand right now because everything got kind of dismantled um, and sold off and some of the ideas that were around um, got watered down and then repurposed for the second industrial revolution. But I think it's interesting now that that, that Trump is talking about this. And once he starts to talk about it, it's going to move into, and this is one of the, whatever you think of Trump and you know, he is always, slightly ahead of the curve when it like every time he was in debate mode, he was one step ahead of his debate opponents. Like he was already taking on the next opponent before he was finished with the previous one. So he's he's taking a page kind of out of the the Agenda 2030 book, and he's like, well, we're going to do this, but we'll do it on our own terms. And he, you know, it's a lot of pie in the sky stuff. I don't know how they're going to power these economies. Um, But I, I like the fact that he's going to force other candidates to talk about their vision of the future. And if Biden is still around, he'll have to talk about it. Marianne Williamson will have to talk about it. Anybody on the Republican side, whoever enters into it, will have to talk about it. But he's setting the bar. And I and whether or not he could pull any of that off remains to be seen. But I like the fact that it's, we're entering into the public discourse. Because one of the things that we need is novelty and invention. And that was to me, the closed-loop circuit of Agenda 2030 and Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, all the technologies is completely centralized, totally centralized. Like any innovation is going to come through them, the Department of Innovation, whatever, right? The It's like people who who are naturally inventive. Humans are naturally inventive. This is what I think... Um, sets us apart from sets us apart from AI. It sets us apart from the beings and the entities that can only copy, right? Humans have a creative spark inside of them and they've done everything in their power to diminish that creative spark from mitigating our environment to mitigating our bodies to watering down our ambition, um, our 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 fire, our our desire to attempt to do something that other people haven't done. Right, they've done everything in their power to tamp that down. You know, I'll never forget when uh, Obama said, "It's time for us to lead from behind." I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? I think I can infer what that might mean, but uh, it's a family show. Shout out to Connell. Um,
1: But I got to give Trump a
2: little bit of credit here. He may just be, you know, grandstanding on this thing, but I think it's an important discussion for for us to have. And it's got to come one way or the other. Right, this whole idea of remaking cities is it's gotta kind of come one way or the other. And when you look at what's happened to San Francisco and Los Angeles and Seattle and Portland and Austin, I mean, all these cities that have become the dumping grounds of human tragedy and detritus, that's your that's your problem. Right? They've baked the problem in. They've totally baked it in. And so, what, have we had a reaction? I'm not even sure if we've had the reaction yet. I I think they're still simmering on the problem. They're still cooking up the problem. We haven't even got to the reaction phase. Although it's, we're getting close. We're getting close to the reaction phase. And all of a sudden, people are going to wake up and go, what the fuck happened to our cities? how did how did how did they become, you know, and then look, I'm not here to degrade the people that live in these cities under under uh, extreme circumstances and conditions. But how did they become the pits of human waste? It was cultivated. It was done. It's like it's not an easy um, sort of puzzle to to take apart, but it's also not incredibly hard. You have to create the social conditions in order for that to happen. You have to obliterate the family, obliterate social services. And when I say social services, I'm not talking about going down the city hall in San Francisco and getting a brand new needle. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the the social services that are connected to the family, right? Like if you were in trouble, in real trouble, your family would step in and say, look, you, you know, you can't do this or they'd help you out or, you know, that's not to say that that families haven't done that. They have, but it's become increasingly hard because they've been atomizing the nuclear family for quite a long time. And the most recent barrage of atomization was COVID. And it's just it's, you know, it's brutal. Absolutely brutal. So a lot of people fall through the cracks. And yeah, sure, there's some governmental stuff that theoretically helped them, but they just fall through the cracks. So there's that. And and, and that's a big part of how we got here. It's a really big part. Urbanization, you know, you could probably throw that into the mix as well. And I think cities could be uh, clearly more refined I mean whatever you think of Giuliani you know you're looking at what looks like pre Giuliani New York in the background here and you know there are a lot of people who romanticize about this version of New York it was pretty grimy you know if you were into the whole underground scene and you know you liked um, you know kind of manageable sleaze This was your New York. It was cheap. There were a lot of artists here. There was an underground scene. And then Giuliani comes in and he cleans everything up. He turns um, Times Square from basically being a place where you could score a hooker, score drugs, or go to a peep show into sort of a portal for corporations and Disney. And a lot of people didn't like it, Right a lot of people didn't like but but Giuliani quickly showed how he could restore a degree of order to a city that had really gone down the tubes um, when John Lindsay was mayor of New York for a number of different reasons so it can be done it can be done but there's always life is weird there's never going to be a utopia there's never going to be this panacea for how to live And, and this being the perfect place. Right. So let's, let's fast forward. We'll go into New York and uh, Brooklyn and uh, uh, Williamsburg. Right. And you go there in the uh, late nineties and it's being regentrified. And I was, I was there, I didn't live there, but I knew people there and I would visit, um, there on a semi-frequent basis so i've watched the rapid acceleration of the gentrification i'll never forget one night i was uh i was there and i was headed to my friend's uh loft space It they had a really kind of cool loft space and well cool in the sense that it was a cool space it wasn't cool because they didn't have any air conditioning um, it was pretty hot it was during the summer and i remember walking down the street to get to their loft space and there are all these Polish women, and they were all sitting on the sidewalk in their aluminum folding chairs, and they were talking and chatting and, you know, sipping their iced tea or whatever they were sipping, and they had the little fans. Uh, and I thought to myself, this is, you know, this is quaint, right? This is New York. This is, you know, a slice of the ethnography of New York City. And I guarantee you, they're not meeting on those little uh, aluminum folding chairs now because it got completely gentrified, right? And on the one hand, um, you think that that's really cool and they're kind of, you know, giving these neighborhoods facelift but there's always problems that kind of go along with this whole idea of, of the gentrification. So you had a bunch of um, essentially dot-com and tech geeks moving into Brooklyn at that time. And so what happened with that well, drug use went up. Like cocaine use went through the roof. Because now all of a sudden you had this class with time and money on their hands. And so they wanted to recreate. And that's when um, you know, the coke dealers kind of moved into Williamsburg. Before they weren't really there that much. I mean, sure, it was kind of ubiquitous, but who were they gonna sell to? You know, the little old Polish ladies on their balloon and folding chairs on the sidewalk. I don't think so. So just because an area gets gentrified and you know makes it a lot more pleasant or easy to live in doesn't always solve the problems. A lot of times it can bring new problems. It's just a different set of problems, right? And then you know once you have that going on, and you have like this new class that's moved in guess what you're going to get more of crime and i'm not just talking about the coke side of things but there are people that want to steal shit you know like home entertainment systems or places that have money or you know there's a whole new layer that comes in so when we talk about reimagining cities which is going to be on the table like that is going to be on i guarantee you it's going to be on the table because there's also money to be made in the of cities. So, by the way, it will go hand in hand with what's gonna happen with um, robotics and AI. And there's going to be a huge economic boom with robotics and AI. It's gonna be, it's gonna make Silicon Valley, you know, look like a flea market when it happens. Because when it happens, it'll it will be fast, it'll be explosive, and there'll be people that are make a shitload of money off of it. Um, and the result of that, you know, could be people signing their own death warrants, right? Like, okay, we we're, we're signing away our human sovereignty because all these things are gonna become easier. That'll be part of this new wave of cities and the 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 new infrastructure it will all whether it's going to be klaus schwab okay in the world economic forum or jordan peterson or donald trump or elon musk or whoever has these ideas and they're already working on these cities by the way i think there's one that's already happening either in utah or nevada so keep your eyes on those areas utah and nevada that's where a lot of this stuff is going to happen um So they're going to have new infrastructure
1: that's just a given,
2: right? So you you can't get, we can't get out of this dance with new infrastructure. And I guess really, is it going to liberate us or is it going to put us in golden handcuffs? Uh, I'm not sure what the answer is to that my feeling and maybe it's the virgo full moon coming through but my feeling has always been that you know our consciousness has to be commensurate with the technology that's available so let's say we have all this wonderful technology and it makes our lives infinitely easier and energy is cheaper and Um, we don't have to be beholden to, you know, these energy
1: cartels. What would humans do with that?
2: Really? What would we do with that? Would would, would we just get lazy? You know, would we turn into a version of wall E where everything's at our disposal and we don't have to work for anything? Is this, you know, going to, um, Simulate the infantilization of humanity? And will technology become our wet nurses? And these are really important things to discuss and talk about because, you know, maybe this is just the Puritan side of me, but unless we have the commencement consciousness for this, for the new technologies, we're not, we could be completely and utterly enslaved by them due to our own lack of initiative and our desire for comfort.
1: And where are we with all this stuff,
2: right? Where are we? If we took the pulse, if we put our, our finger and put it up against the prevailing winds of our collective consciousness, where are we with it all? You know, and who are we? We're clearly a house divided. That's for damn sure. Right. But could we, you know, man and woman up and not allow the the good life or the comfortable life to keep us from being innovative and evolving? Because one of the things about limitation is that limitation forces us to evolve. That is one of the key factors of limitation. and. Not all limitation is bad. When you take away the, 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 the boundaries for limitation, and make things easier for people, there's... I mean, so I'll give you an example here. If you look at, say, uh, life and culture, like along the equatorial line
1: around the planet, one could make a case
2: that there is a lot of development. You know what I mean? It's hot. You know, you have the seasons at a similar kind of pitch the year round. And if you are, um, you know, kind of a hunter gatherer, there's probably a lot of things that are within arm's reach, whether it's a piece of fruit Um, or uh, an animal that, you know, you could capture and, you know, uh, prepare or whatever, right? I, I mean, we could probably take a tour around the equatorial line around the planet. And I would say, eh, probably not a lot of development. But if you go up into the, you know, further north, where there's greater limitation, I can make a case that you would find greater development. Because people have to deal with seasons, right? And they have to get things done, and they have to build shelter, and they have to, you know, in, in time of year where it does get incredibly hot when they're not used to it, they have to have systems to deal with that, right? So, when you have limitations, you you can develop and evolve. When there's a lack of limitation, the development and evolution doesn't always happen, you know. And I'm, I'm not, and I'm not trying to diss anybody that lives within say a thousand miles of the equator on either side right but you know just go further north and when you deal with limitations you you have to evolve you don't evolve you die so you know do we want to be in a world where things are kind of already pre set pre-made everybody owns a home what does trump mean by that Everybody gets owned. Well, you get to own a home. I guess you get to own it. Well, that's one thing, right? Because in Klaus Schwab's world, you don't own your, you don't own the home. And I don't know what Jordan Peterson is going to propose, but you don't own the home. Uh, and I guess in Trump world, you own the home, so that's not a bad thing.
1: What are the jobs of the future?
2: How are we going to? Uh, Populate, empower these supposed freedom cities. So this is a theme I think that uh, we'll explore this week, and I've been wanting to get to um, a piece of more evergreen content for a couple of weeks now, and I think I'll I'll cover that on tomorrow's show and on the Wednesday show, and it has to do because we're now we're moving into. This idea where you know the the future and how we're going to live in cities and lifestyle, they're 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 you know, these models are entering into the marketplace of ideas. And who's going to determine how we live and which one of these models is going to be the model that will prevail? Will the, will there be parallel models? I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, could we have 15-minute cities and freedom cities? Or could we have other versions? And, you know, what are uh, the populace in general working on? We'll explore some of these themes this week. And I definitely have a deep dive and I've been planning this deep dive for a while based on kind of a model that's already being talked about. And And it dovetails with, um, Klaus Schwab and World Economic Forum, uh, World. So I think we'll get into that tomorrow. Okay, I think that's it.
1: I think I think we're good. I think we're good for today.
2: Um, am I leaving out anything? Any housekeeping? No, I think that's it. All right, um, again, everybody who kept my uh, mother in your thoughts and prayers, thank you for that. Um, she's doing she's doing great. I mean it's freaky. I I, I can only ascribe her uh, progress to a couple things. Well, three things. One, I think the care and treatment she got at the hospital is pretty good. Two, the power of prayer, I think is a game changer. If she doesn't have that, I don't think she pulls through. And then the third is her. she's she's feisty. I mean, she's a, she's a a feisty old bird. That's what I like to call her. So she has that. She's got Pluto and cancer on her ascendant, right? That's like somebody who hangs on, you know? So she's got that in her. And um, again, thank you for all of your um, good vibes and your loving prayers. I appreciate that. So, all right. I'm out of here. Use your head in order to show what's real, your heart too simple what's possible. Join us here again tomorrow where we dive into what I think is the philosophical spine of the World Economic Forum, 15-minute cities, and the idea of how they're going to not only manage them but manage the people who will live in those cities. That's the important piece. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care.
1: Bye for now.